So we knew we were going to see how this was going to go. For, for those of you who have not met, this is my daughter, August. I'm biased, but I think she's the most beautiful thing in this planet. And um, she wanted to come help me for a little bit this morning. We'll see how long she lasts. And it's not because I didn't like prepare a sermon, so I'm trying to distract you with cuteness. Although, I could have totally gotten away without writing any notes this morning. And we'd just be like, yeah, here's a cute baby, everybody. Okay, amen, go home. But uh, we're actually sitting in the middle of a series about family. And last week, we looked at the family who have gone on before us. Before that, we looked at the family, um, about what it means to be a family, the nature of family. And this morning, I want to talk about parenting. It's a subject that comes up a lot. Um, we offer classes on it about spiritual parenting. We talk about parenting within our groups. But we, we rarely look at the Bible and parenting specifically. Um, we have a few little lines that we know, like um, um, honor your father and mother, about how discipline, uh, uh, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the discipline of the Lord. Yet, um, I wanted us to sit with a story about parenting from the Bible. And so August was gonna come help me just for a few minutes this morning, just so I can, you know, as a speaker, you always try to do things to establish credibility. So like when you start a sermon or a speech, you're like, hey, here's why you should listen to me about this. And I'm definitely not an expert because she's not as old as some of your children, but I have a much different perspective on the idea of parenting now than I did seven months ago. So first, we're gonna jump into scripture. We're gonna go to Mark. You can help me read Mark chapter five, starting at verse 21, okay? And then you're probably gonna go hang out with your mom. Okay, you can, amen? Amen. Is your mouth stuck? Okay. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, he came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my daughter is dying, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she might be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, a large crowd followed him, and they pressed in all around him. And a woman who was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet she, instead of getting better, got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people against you, his disciples said, and, and you asked, how can you even ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who done it, who touched him. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came out and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, do not be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, what is all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. 
After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha Koum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished, and then he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told him to give her something to eat. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks for being here. That was awesome. All right, Brianna, I'm gonna ask you to come help me. I'm gonna hand her back off to you. I just wanted to talk about parenting and give a little visual. I'm stuck. I don't know how to get out of this thing. I've tried. I just, these, there are so many contraptions for children now that I don't even, I don't know how to work half of them. You got her? Perfect. All right, oh, shoot. Just falls out of stuff. So as we look at this scripture, before we jump in, I would like for us to say a prayer together. So will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And all God's people said, amen. My opinions, as I said, have changed recently about parenting. There's something inherently different about, um, about being a recipient of parenting as there is from offering parenting, the thoughts I had about parenting before March 25th are from a very different perspective than they are now. It's amazing how in no time at all, a, a small human who can't even speak can completely change my opinions on a great deal of matters. And I know for those of you who are parents of multiple children, you're like, just wait to get, you know, two, three, four, five, six, and I'm like, stop counting, please. I know there are also others in this room who are not parents of humans, but in wonderful ways are parents of a variety of God's creatures. For that, we give thanks. And all of us have some sort of experience with the concept of parenting. For some, it's a healthy relationship with our parents. For others, it's a relationship riddled with difficulties and problems and struggles. Some of us never knew our parents. Some of us terribly miss our parents. It's hard to talk about parenting without being very general and saying we all have experiences and none of our experiences are the same. There's no one, if you parent just like this, this is what will happen. But I do think as we come to scripture, um, we can think about that we have some examples, some good, some not so good. But before we turn back to the story from scripture, most of you know that August has provided us with lots of excitement these seven months. Um, She was born on Palm Sunday, which is kind of a big day for preachers, um, but then decided that um, she'd stay in the NICU for a few extra days, and uh, that was scary. But she came home on Easter, and that was a, a great joy for us. And she has completely changed our lives in a number of ways. I, I have experienced so many different emotions in like one day that I never anticipated. It goes from like love and joy and excitement to like a healthy dose of like OMG, what do I do now, fear. Like fear has become kind of like a, a big part of my emotional psyche these past couple months. Just, just like, and not like the, the initial fear of when she was in the NICU and she was like covered in tubes and wires and that was like terror. But just like a, hey, um, what do I do now kind of fear. Like you're sending us home from this hospital with a very breakable small human and I have no like owner's manual. There's no instruction book. I'm sure all of us have 
have thought, man, parents should get some sort of like, here, what to do in the case of X guide, right? I really wish there was, because if you got one of those, could you please share it? Because they didn't give those to me. They left that out of my goodie bag. They sent us home with like a few extra diapers and like a, here's your insurance payment and here's your copay, but there's no, there's no like owner's manual. But let's be honest, like I'm a dude. If it had to come with like a guide, I probably wouldn't have read it anyway. But it would have been helpful to know that there was like some instruction out there that I could like turn to you and say, in the event of this, what do I do now? Like when your child spits up more food than she keeps down, or like when your child spits up more food than you think she's actually eaten, and you're just like, where does it keep coming from? You have not even consumed this much liquid. How do you have this much food to spit up? Like, what do you do then? Could y'all uh, help me out and let me know what the, what the guide says if you got one of those? Or like when, when your wife decides that you're gonna cloth diaper and... Um, and you cloth diaper, and then one day, you know, you're just hanging out with your, with your baby, and she decides to go to the bathroom in this diaper so much so, as people have told me, it, 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 this is gonna happen more and more, but it just like doesn't stay in the diaper and goes everywhere else. And you're like, normally I would just throw this diaper away, but I don't know what to do, and Brianna's not home, so you just kind of leave her in it until your wife gets home because you're afraid of <laughs> is there a Is there an instruction in the guide for that? I mean, that, that, would be the, that would be super helpful. Or like a guy to like, what you do when your emotions take over because your daughter's trying to learn how to crawl and you're not quite ready for that yet because you want to be a baby, so you like gently pull her arm out from underneath her. <laughs> I'm such a terrible parent. But accidentally, her face lands on the carpet and she's super not excited about it to the point where she like cries uncontrollably and like doesn't want me to hold her, but there's nobody else around. So I'm like, sorry, I'm all you get. Like, do you have anything in the guide for like when that, when that happens? Or like how to, go, here's, is there anything in there about how to go back to sleep after her oxygen monitor goes off, but it's like a low battery alarm, but not like a low oxygen alarm, but you don't know the difference. And so you're like freaking out and like getting ready to call 911. And then like, it's just low battery. And you're like, I can't go out to sleep now. There's no way. My, your heart rate is through the roof. Or like the whole reason you, you, is there anything there about you have to have an oxygen monitor in the first place because that when they told you to get one after you left the emergency room on the Sunday of her first mother's day, and I haven't actually told y'all kind of what happened. Uh, we weren't here that Mother's Day and I just really didn't talk about it publicly because it was so still, I'm still getting over the trauma of like one specific moment because she had to have this oxygen monitor because when we got to church here that morning, we tried to take her out of the, of the car seat and like she wasn't breathing and like she was like cold and limp and like wouldn't wake up and like the, the terror of that moment, like what do you do now? We ran in here, found Paula who was a doctor and she said, go to the ER and she ended up being fine and now she's fine. She's totally fine. She's super healthy. She's got an ear infection, but she's super healthy. But, but like that, that moment was so imprinted on my mind now, I can't get it out. So like now she has like the sniffles. I'm like, we need to call the emergency room. We need to call the ER. Like the 911, like what, what do you do now? If you got one of those guides, could you? Could you give them to me? Because like parenting is hard. And I don't think I appreciated that from my parents, especially, you know, whenever I thought they were wrong, which was often. I thought that, not that they were. Parenting has whole lots of challenges. It's wonderful and it's terrifying. Whether we're the parent of one child or multiple children or whether we've received parenting or whether we're the parents of other of God's creatures, um, it's always gonna be hard. That's right, amen, little girl, that's her. If you get the, she's charismatic, by the way. She was born, she thought she was born in a Pentecostal family. I'm still trying to teach her what it means to be Methodist. Our biblical images of, of, of marriage aren't the best, actually. Um, and Robin's kind of touched on this a couple weeks ago, and I just wanna pick back up a few of the things he said and add a couple. 
So if you think about like in the Bible, we often say we want to have like biblical families or biblical marriages or we want to be biblical parents. But like here's some examples of like parents in the Bible. Abraham had multiple children and sent one away and favored this other one, but he decided he was going to like one day take him on a mountain and was going to sacrifice him to God um, with a knife. He didn't end up doing it. Um, He sacrificed a ram instead, but he favored one son over the other which is something I've always been told you're not supposed to do. Um, Isaac, that son, ended up doing the same thing, favoring one son of the other, so much so that they hated each other. They went to, wanted to go to war. They wanted to kill one. So his son Jacob ran away. Jacob had tons of sons. He had seven sons. He, he had favoritism towards one, and his brothers sold him into slavery because of his father's preference towards him. Noah had daughters who were not, there was no men around to have children with, so they decided that, that's how they would do it with their, with their father, and, and that's in the Bible. It's kind of strange. Saul, talk about parent, he hated his kid's best friend, and I know that sometimes there's kids over at your house, and sometimes there's like one kid, and it's not your kid, it's some other kid, and you're like, man, I wish that kid would just calm down. I was that kid. I was like, my parents had to tell people, don't let him have Coke. This is how Saul handled it. Jonathan and David were best friends, so Saul decided to throw spears at David. Like, that's parenting right there, right? Hey, your friend's annoying. I'm gonna try to throw spears at him. But I'm also gonna let him marry your sister. That happened next. Like, the interesting parenting, right? But David wasn't necessarily any better himself. He had multiple children. The first ended up assaulting his sister. So the other brother killed that brother. That brother had to run away. When he came back home, he usurped his father from the throne and kicked his father, David, out of the kingdom. And that's parenting. <laughs> so the biblical ideas of, of, of parenting in the Bible um, are complicated. There's lots going on there. But if nothing else, it just reinforces that parenting is hard. This story this morning we read, I've always kind of focused on the center of it. When I read it, when I preached from it, it's, it's kind of like the, the faith of that woman was the catalyst for her healing. And that's always been my, my takeaway from reading this scripture. But now, seven months later, um, after having a child, I, I read it completely differently. And I would like to offer us this morning, as we revisit this story, what we're going to do the rest of the time is just sit with this story. I'm going to unpack this. I'm going to go through the story again, and then we're going to think about it in great detail. And I want us to think about it, what it means um, to love somebody else. So I think that these ideas of parenting can be actually applied to all those in our lives. What it means to love somebody else, and what it means for God to be our parent. Because we say that a lot, but it's real nebulous. Like, what does that mean? But this story gives us a a very helpful and healthy way of thinking about that and looking at it. When we enter into the story, Jesus crosses back across the sea, or the Sea of Galilee, with his disciples. The apostles are in the boat with him. And when he gets there, he jumps out, and there's a large crowd, and at the front of the crowd is this man named Jairus. Jairus is a synagogue leader. He agreed, he asked Jesus to help him because his daughter is not doing well, she's about to die, and Jesus agrees to go with him. They leave, and the crowd follows him. The crowd is pressing in all around Jesus, and all of a sudden, Jesus just stops. And he says, who touched me? And it'd be like whenever Tom Brady showed up after winning the Super Bowl into this parade, and there's always people around him trying to get close to him, and everybody's touching on him, and he says, who touched me? And all of his teammates be, what do you mean everybody's touching you? Everybody's trying to get close to you. That's, what's, that's what happened with Jesus. He said, who touched me? And he scanned the crowd, he looked around until he saw this woman come out of the crowd and fall down at his feet. And she explained to him, she said, I I have been ill. She had been suffering hemorrhages for 12 years. And this was not only a physical ailment for her, it was a social one, because during that time whenever a woman was going, during her time of the month, during this season, each month, this for her lasted 12 years. 
And during that time, she was not allowed to be out. She was not supposed to be out in public. She was not supposed to touch anybody. But still, she came out into this crowd of people and touched a man, a man who was not her husband, which is culturally completely off limits. And so instead of Jesus rebuking her, which is what everybody was expecting, which is why she's apologizing, Jesus looks at her and he says, daughter, not how could you, how dare you, you're wrong, you're the worst. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Right after that happened, somebody from Jairus' house came up to Jairus and said, don't bother the teacher anymore, your child has died. And Jesus looks up and he says, do not be afraid, just just believe. And, and so they go on, they go to Jairus' house and they show up to Jairus' house and all these people are crying, they're weeping. It's like um, whenever I was in seminary, one of our friends, his dad passed away in a tragic car accident unexpectedly. And we were about to go to Atlanta and so instead of going to Atlanta, my, my, my other friend Levi and I, who normally ride together, we, we turned around and came and went to his house. And by the time we got there, there were just like people everywhere. If you've ever you know, been in a wake of a tragedy right after somebody has passed, right, the house is just full of people crying and, and weeping and it's just difficult and it's tense and it's sad. Imagine Jesus walking up into this situation and saying, why are y'all crying? Can you imagine like, how insensitive that is? He goes up in there and he says, why are y'all crying? And, and they, he says, they laugh at him and he says, get out. He sends them all out and then he goes with some of his disciples and he goes with the parents. He goes back to where the girl was lying and he tells her, just get up, sit up and walk. And that's what she does. She's revived, she gets up, she walks. He tells her to give her something to eat and he says, don't tell anybody anything about what you have seen. This is a crazy story. I've talked about it before, but like Mark, Mark does this thing where he puts two stories on either side of it. One story is interrupted by a story. It's called a chiasm or a sandwich story. And sometimes we think like one part is more important than the other. And, I, and I've unfortunately always leaned to think like that woman's part where the healing of faith is most important. But what we see in this story is the desperation of somebody who loves somebody else very much. The desperation of a parent. Do you get who Jairus is? Jairus is a synagogue leader, meaning he's a Jewish authority. And up to this point in the story and later on in the story, you know how the relationship between the Jewish authorities and Jesus goes? Not super well. So essentially, Jairus is going to his arch enemy. You know, if this were like a picture show, if this were a movie, Jesus is like the antagonist and Jairus is the protagonist from Jairus' perspective. You know, the good guy, the bad guy. Jairus goes to the guy he disagrees with and is desperate for help. And so think about the humility that takes the desperation. I mean, he's basically risking his entire political career, like any type of like any type of equity he's built up socially. He's he's putting his his professional job on the line by siding with a person who's trying to like tear down his establishment because of the love he has for his daughter. Also think about like when he goes to ask for help. He says, My little girl is close to death when he comes to find Jesus. Imagine what that would be like to make that decision. Your little girl, your daughter, the person you love more in the world, is, is lying there about to die, and you decide to leave. Can you imagine how hard that would be to make that decision? And you don't leave because you don't love her. You leave because you do love her. And so he, he leaves her there in this fragile state where he might not ever see her again, and he sacrifices time he could have with her in order to try to do the one thing he thinks might help 
In his daughter's greatest hour of need, he is elsewhere. And it's easy for us to say it wasn't that desperate of an attempt because he was going to see Jesus because Jesus could fix everything. He didn't know that for sure. Like we have the, the rest of the story. We also know more, know more about who Jesus is. So we know like, that Jesus is a healer. And we can all claim that. But what if like, you've just heard stories about Jesus? What if you've heard a story about the guy who's actually your enemy? And he's, he's been doing these healings that you've heard about, but maybe you've never seen. And so you've got to trust in faith that you're going to leave your daughter and her greatest hour need to go ask for something that you don't even know is possible from a man who you don't even like. I wonder how he got there. Do you think he ran? Do you think he left his house and like was sprinting towards the coast to get there as fast as he could because he heard that the, the boat was coming back with the disciples? I wonder if in his mind, he's thinking of all these things he's gonna say to Jesus. Jesus, I'm sorry we've been hating on you. Haters gonna hate. I'm sorry that we've been so rude. Jesus, I'll bargain with you. I'll tell my guys to back off a little bit if you will heal my daughter. I wonder if in his mind he's coming up with like, the things he's going to say when he gets there. And just imagine his kind of like frustration when he gets to the coast and there is this crowd of people already there. Now, we don't know if he was the first there. If he was the first there, that means he was waiting for a long time. If he wasn't the first there, he had to work his way through this crowd of people to get to the front because it says when Jesus landed, Jairus was the first person to meet him. So there's huge crowd around him. He's, he's busted through to get to this crowd, to get to the front to see Jesus, and they're just waiting for Jesus to get there. There's no find my friends app. There's no, hey, Paul, or no, hey, Peter, when y'all think you're gonna make it? Every second that goes by is the second he wasted with his daughter. And he's sitting there on the coast waiting for Jesus. Just imagine the joy, the initial joy he felt when he saw the boat coming. Imagine like the positioning. He's like boxing people out, waiting for Jesus to get off that boat. And he's so excited and so desperate. The second he sees Jesus, he doesn't say anything else. He just falls at his feet. He falls at the feet of a man who is his enemy and says, please help. My little girl is almost about to die. Can you imagine the excitement he felt when Jesus just said, yes, yes, I'll help, yes. And so then they turn around and then the crowd is pressing in. It's like when you're at a concert and you're trying to get to the front of the, and he's like, they're trying to push through the crowd to get Jesus to Jairus' house. And he's probably thinking, all right, how much time has passed? I wonder how she's doing. I have no idea how to know, but I've got Jesus. Things are going well. We're pushing through the crowd. I wish this crowd would move. He's making it real slow. And all of a sudden you're telling me Jesus stops. Like, like if you're holding the hand of somebody going through a crowd, right? If you're like walking with somebody and you turn around like they're not there or if they're walking with you and they just stop. And you're like, hey, why are you stopping? We gotta go, my girl's about to die. We gotta go right now, let's go. Come on, why are you stopping? And Jesus says, who touched me? And it's like the most ridiculous question ever. Who touched me? Like there's people all around you touching you. Let's go, we gotta get to my little girl. She's about to die. Please, Jesus, let's go, stop. Be-. And he just scans the crowd and Jesus is quietly like looking around. And all of a sudden this woman comes and lays down at Jesus' feet just like Jairus just did. Because she's desperate, just like Jairus is. And she wants Jesus' healing and help, just like Jairus does. But if, I wonder if any of those things go through Jairus' mind. Or if he just thinks, hey, woman, we don't have time. We gotta go. Leave Jesus alone. I've gotta get to my little girl. Imagine the frustration with this person that he does not know. Imagine just like this overwhelming sense of urge, this, this come on, let's go right now. And then Jesus does his healing. He talks to her. And then all of a sudden, after all that he's done, after leaving, after risking everything, somebody comes and says to you, 
don't trouble the teacher anymore. All you tried to do is in vain. It didn't work. She has died. Imagine his emotion as a parent. Imagine what he was feeling knowing that everything he tried didn't work. Imagine what it would be like to be in that moment. You know why Jesus is God? Because Jesus knew right then what Jairus was feeling. He didn't have to ask him. He didn't have to try to explain it. He just, the next part of the text says he looked up, he looked at Jairus, and he said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Just believe. And they went from that place, and they go to Jairus' house, and can you imagine Jairus trying to explain to his wife, hey, I know that she's died, but Jesus is still here and he wants to try to do some things. Like, what would that conversation be like? Can you, just all these emotions. This, and do you still believe in Jesus because he was gonna heal her, but can he actually bring somebody back from the dead? How does he know she's just asleep? Just all these things that are just in this parent's mind that he's going through. But can you imagine, can you imagine how it felt whenever he said to her, little girl, get up. And she did. Can you imagine the emotions a parent would have? Or that you, with some loved one, sitting there, and Jesus comes and heals this person. In our Bibles, this story is often labeled, Jesus heals the hemorrhaging woman. But I think this story is way more about the experience of a parent the emotions of somebody who loves somebody so deeply that they will do anything out of desperation to protect the one they love. We see every sort of emotion, fear, joy, love, sacrifice, empathy, anger, humility. This story is a microcosm of how we act towards those whom we love, the things that we will do to protect those in our lives who we care about the most. Maybe they're our children, maybe they're our parents, maybe they're our loved ones, maybe they are our friends. But are we the type of people who are in relationship to the point where we would do this? All these things that Jairus, who is not even supposed to be one of the main characters in the story, is willing to do. August is not gonna remember how terrifying that time in the hospital was, but I will, when she was first born. She's not gonna have to have in her mind holding her when she like wouldn't wake up, but I'll, I'll never forget it. Just like with my parents feel towards me, and just like I feel also about my grandfather when he passed. When my friends pass, how I feel about the loss and the emotions. What could I have done more of? What should I have done more of. Um, this story helps us see that as humans, we carry with us a great weight towards those whom we love. But it also shows us that God carries that same weight for us. What did Jesus say to the woman who he healed? He called her daughter. Just as he calls each of us son and daughter. And so all those emotions you feel towards your children, towards your significant other, towards your parents, just imagine that God feels those for every single one of us. 
God is desperate for us, desperate for us to be in relationship. God wants the best for us by trying to bring us into a life that makes us feel fulfilled. God sacrificed everything for us. Died on a cross, beaten and abused, humiliated, because he loves us like a parent. Because God loves you and would do anything for us. God will do anything and has done everything for you. And so in those moments where you feel unworthy or where you feel alone, imagine those emotions that you have towards somebody you love and remember that somebody else has those for you. God has those for you. God loves you and would do anything and has done everything. So when we come to this table, we remember that. We remember that there was a time, a specific day, when God chose to sacrifice for us. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for all that you've done in our lives. We thank you that you are at work now and always. We thank you that you have given so much. We often take for granted all that you have done in our life. We take for granted the ways in which You have sacrificed for us. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have failed to do your will. We have failed to hear the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive us and free us for joyful obedience to you, Jesus Christ, our Lord, now and forever. Amen.